Sales, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 27 So much drama. If it wasn't the housemates, it was Ashley or myself causing it. Between unemployment, affairs, the revolving door on the Heartbreak Hotel, it was a lot. Coming back from the affair wasn't the easiest thing in the world. I feel like I might have been a little glib about it. You know, that I might have glossed over it somewhat at the end of chapter 25. But the impact on my confidence was massive. And staying with Ashley after the affair wasn't a given. Walking away had occurred to me. As I mentioned, it felt like Bob was trying to embarrass me into breaking up with Ashley. For obvious reasons, they were mainly beneficial to Bob. But aside from my own indiscretions, I loved Ashley and I wondered what I was going to do. And so I looked to my own parents once more. Now, I don't know what kind of difficulties they faced on this sort of level, if they have. But I do know they've made it very clear. A marriage or a relationship that lasts doesn't come easy. It takes work from both parties. You've got to have those uncomfortable but honest conversations and you've got to find a way to figure it out together. When I say it takes work, please don't confuse this with the early days of a relationship. If it takes work with someone or feels like work with someone in those early days, pay attention to this, especially if you feel like you're the one doing all the work. I mean, I hate to sound like a magic eight ball, but in that situation, outlook, not so good. I mean, I get it, it's easily overlooked when you want to make it work. But back to Ash and I. Luckily, the small spare bedroom had recently been vacated by Billy. And so Ashley moved in there for a while. I mean, my only other option to get some space was to head home to my parents some 200 miles away. Which, as much as they loved me, wouldn't have been ideal for either of us. I just needed the space to figure out what all this meant to me and for me. I needed to have some honest conversations with myself before I could have them with Ashley. Was I really okay about the physical aspect of the affair? Or was I just telling myself that because I didn't feel like I had a leg to stand on? Was I okay with it because I knew that my sex drive had disappeared? If I was staying, why was I staying? What did I want the relationship to be like in the future? What if this happened again? What did I need to do to keep Ashley? And that's what I came up with after all my musing. I didn't want to lose Ashley and I didn't want to give Ashley up. So I tried to apply some sort of logic and rational thinking to the situation. You know, maybe do a root cause analysis. What was the problem? Well, Ashley had cheated on me, had a prolonged affair. Okay, why did this happen? 
Hmm. Well, she was stressed. She was looking for an escape, a distraction. You know, we weren't having sex at home. Fiance's unemployed and not making a huge amount of effort. Okay. What are our possible solutions? For one, fix up, look sharp. You know, or just have a wash. Get a job. Be able to contribute. Take care of self. Make more effort. Oh, and I decided that I did want to be monogamous. I wanted it to just be us. And to me, that meant I needed to step up and not give her reasons to go elsewhere. In an ideal world, I would be able to provide for my girlfriend. But that was an unrealistic notion. But I absolutely needed to be able to make a contribution at the very least. In a situation where I couldn't control the real cause, which was Ashley wanting to sleep with someone else, I tried to do something about the elements I believed were in my control. You know, finding your own faults in a situation, blaming yourself somehow makes it easier to deal with, gives us that illusion of control, or so the theory goes. So Ashley spent a good couple of months in our spare room on a camp bed from the 1970s, which in and of itself was a torture device. As dog houses go, the box room proved to be perfect. So as I mentioned, Ashley and I had date nights and we were making more effort for and with each other. We worked harder at talking about what was really going on with us. We stopped assuming we knew what the other person wanted. We talked more, we listened more, and we chose each other more. We bloody worked at it. And then, of course, I'd gotten a job at the car hire place and it made such a difference to me, which I brought home. Things were turning a corner. We were turning a corner. It wasn't just about having a job either. This particular job came with added butcher peel. Well, for this car lover anyway. From washing cars to delivering them all over the country, I loved it. I was getting to drive cars I'd never get my hands on any other way. And taking delivery of brand new cars, fresh off the transporter, that new car smell, oh, so good. My favorite part of the day was always finding out which car I'd be taking home. The business had gone and opened a new branch in the next town up, and I'd been working there on the condition that they provided a vehicle to get me to and from the place. Some days, this does not go your way and you find yourself trundling home in a little Citroen Berlingo, not an ounce of comfort. Or you end up getting an LDV minibus with a gearbox and clutch so belligerent I had to stand up to change gears. But some days the stars would align and I'd be putting the roof down on a two litre turbo convertible and taking the scenic route home, enjoying the country lanes and loving the look on people's faces as I drove past. I mean, the downside of that boyish baby face is that, well, you look like a joyrider. My ego loved watching men be impressed as I backed their chosen vehicle into and out of impossible spaces. The lads in all the branches were good as gold. Most of the managers too. I'd actually never felt as comfortable and as welcome as I did in this workplace. 
They weren't perfect, but they were a million times better than the Stepford Wives Club were. As I drove around the country, I started to hear more and more stories about our managing director slash owner. He was loud and brash, and it hadn't taken long for me to witness this side of him. He would actually explode with rage. He barked rather than talked. He fired people like employment rights weren't actually a thing. I kept my distance. He was all charm when he visited our branch. We were a new setup after all, and therefore smashing targets. And we were in his good graces, for now. At home, Ashley had finally gotten the hang of housemates hunting, had placed a proper advert, and was actually arranging interviews. After the usual parade of weirdos and chances, we had more than a couple of interviews to go. And then Rebecca turned up. Rebecca was a student nurse and an all-round good human being upon first meeting. I mean, head and shoulders above all of the other potential housemates we'd interviewed. Rebecca moved in with a full deposit, signed the tenancy agreement and everything. I mean, we were really getting the hang of this now. But unintentionally, we'd managed to do it again. Rebecca was getting back on her feet after a breakup, but in quite a healthy way. And more to the point, with very little drama. Life in the house settled into a lovely routine. Everyone was working, well, except for Gucci. That cat was still lording it up at every opportunity. And given how bad she was at spider catching, I'm not sure she should have been, frankly. Back at work, I'd mentioned I knew a thing or two about motorhomes. Good, the mad MD said. I've just bought two and I need you to clean them. All right, I can do that, I thought. I mean, it's hardly the worst job in the world. Until I got out to them. He'd forgotten to mention that he'd bought them months ago and he'd hired one out once. The engine had blown up, the guys had towed it back and left it in the yard for another couple of months during the summer. And now they'd finally gotten round to fixing it and it's made its way to my yard. So it is, it's the height of the summer and I have decided to take advantage of the heat wave and power wash the outside of the motorhomes first. It's a brilliant plan. I'm getting paid to tan, top up my vitamin D, and my God, it was hot, heat wave hot. And so as Ashley and Rebecca and the rest of my friends were stuck inside, either sweltering or freezing, depending on the existence of air conditioning, there I was with my headphones on, wellies, shorts, and a bikini top, loving life. I was smug, especially when a day or two later, the weather broke just as I started on the interiors. My smugness was soon wretched up and regretted. I opened the toilet door and I nearly died. I stood outside wretching. Turned out the motorhome had broken down at the end of a week's use. It had been brought back and left in the yard with a completely full waste tank, which had now cooked in the summer heat for a couple of months. I have never 
wanted to play my girl card more than I did in this particular moment. But of course, the lads were having none of it. Equality, after all. The lads did, however, have to know how bad it was. Every single one of them went in to check it out. Me, I'd have been happy to take someone's word for that. I'd have felt no need to check whether the wretching person was lying or not. Strange, strange boys. Now, I knew I wasn't getting out of the job, but I did need a hand at the very, very least to get that enormously full tank of shit out of the motorhome and take it to a suitable disposal place. Tom, who was lowest on the ladder, was promptly volunteered to help me out. I mean, we did it. We vomited once or twice, but we did get it done. And in fact, my mad boss was so impressed, he actually gave Tom and I a paid day off the next day. It was surprising. It was unheard of. And it was very unnerving. But neither one of us was going to argue. I mean, I triple checked with my manager that it was real before I left for the day. Right? You just couldn't trust this guy at all. Because by this point, both Tom and I have seen the Mad MD change his mind at the drop of a hat. And I guess we just had to hope that this wasn't one of those times. I got lucky and I got to take one of the nicer cars home. And I called Ashley to see if she could get the day off work the next day. So, you know, we could spend the day together. To my amazement, Ash managed to put down her work and get away for the day. It was fantastic. We got up, had a lazy morning, drove to our favourite cafe for a fry up. And unexpectedly, Ashley decides she wants to go shopping. I say unexpectedly because I have yet to date a femme who actually likes a good old mooch around the shops. Well, not since Tess, anyway. Ashley hated my ability to wander aimlessly around shops, just looking. People seem surprised that I love to shop. But come on now, how else am I going to look so dapper? It's little things like these that make people think they can't be butch or they can't be femme, which of course isn't true, it's nonsense. There are femmes who hate to shop, who go in, they get what they want and they leave. And there are butchers like me who will walk all the departments and all of the stores just in case, because you never know what you might find. There are femmes who aren't soppy and sentimental and don't believe in things like greetings cards. And then there are butchers who know exactly when your anniversary is, be it six weeks, six months or six years. We often joked about the fact that we were opposites and that I just looked butch and was actually a bit femme and Ashley was the opposite. But on this day, we're strolling around the shops and there's not an ounce of impatience or frustration from Ashley. She hasn't wandered off or sighed a lot. And I'm appreciating our efforts. We leave a shop with me, I'm in an R in about a pair of jeans. When Ashley pulls me into another shop, it's a jewellery shop, I immediately wander off to look at the fancy watches. When I hear Ashley say, Yes, we're looking for an engagement ring for my fiance. 
my ears pricked up at that, I can tell you. 18 months later, was it actually going to happen? The sales assistant sits us down, sizes me up and goes off to gather a bunch of options. Bless him, he starts off too girly, bringing out those delicate rings that quite frankly wouldn't last five minutes on my hand. He reads the situation well and swaps the trays around and this guy gets it, the selection is much better. It's like pick a ring, any ring, within reason of course. After all, we're not made of money. So we take our time, we're discussing all the options. Always amazing to me how respectful sales staff can be when there's a commission on the line. Whether it's the money or not, the sales assistant was a dream. After his first misstep with the initial selection, he did. He knew exactly what he was doing and where he was going. He put gender aside and focused on me as the recipient and Ashley as the gifter. I felt ridiculously comfortable. Ashley, not so much, as she caught sight of a price tag or two in my maybe tray. I was teasing her about just getting the most expensive one, even if it was ugly, when I absentmindedly picked up and tried on a ring. And it fit me perfectly. Just a simple band in white gold with three diamonds in it. Gave me sort of eternity ring vibes, you know, past, present, future. I loved it. And it felt like I'd always worn this ring. It was lovely. I had no intention of taking it off, providing it was in budget. Ash is starting to sweat a little. I've managed to pick the only unpriced ring on the table. So off she goes with the sales assistant to find out the damage. While I admire my shiny, pretty new ring. If I've blown the budget, I'm going to be heartbroken. I don't look at the pair of them at the counter, but I hear Ashley laughing with relief. My curiosity gets the better of me and I head over. It turns out I do have very expensive taste. And by all rights, this ring is wildly out of budget. But it's the last one. And it's in a tiny size. It's been through every sale they've had and gone nowhere. So I get the ring I've fallen in love with and Ashley gets a whopping 80% off. Even the sales assistant can't believe our luck. Tiny fingers for the win. And we treated ourselves to a slap up lunch and headed home to celebrate. And there was, there was plenty to celebrate. Ashley still smashing targets month in and month out at work. We're in a really good place in our relationship. We finally have a housemate who is lovely and drama free. And even Gucci seems happy. And on top of that, here in the UK, we even got a new TV series all about lesbians. Does anyone else remember lip service? Setting Glasgow? I mean, actually not terrible. Even mentioned Gaydar Girls, which resulted in a massive influx of newbies to the site. And I do mean newbies in all the senses of the word. The main character, Frankie, seemed to be Scotland's answer to Shane. We got two seasons of it before it was cancelled without explanation. Seems you can only have your lesbians in a prison drama. 
Because, of course, women only go gay when they're deprived of men. Out in the real world, existing without men? Clearly the TV execs didn't think that was believable. Talking to the real world, work was getting wild. The mad MD was being, well, um, mad. He'd been spending money like it was going out of fashion. And he wanted to keep spending. Pressure to pull in the profits really ramped up. Corners were being cut and if you asked the wrong question, you'd be cut too. He stopped replacing people he fired. He got himself arrested for a road rage incident. He lost his shit at me on multiple occasions. I searched high and low for a way out. I could not and I would not quit. Honestly, I couldn't face the job centre again. I'd find myself hundreds of miles from home well after finishing time on a regular basis. The mad MD became a micromanager as he tried to squeeze every last penny out of the business. And this guy's moral compass was all kinds of broken. I was required to cover the main branch one Saturday morning. Only a half day, and it usually went nice and quick. Minimal management interference was key to Saturday mornings. Except this one. The mad MD arrives in a minibus that we need for a customer. I'd been hoping for anyone but him to drop it off. I crack on with my jobs knowing he'll be checking everything I do. I'm halfway through a job he'd normally be watching over my shoulder. But he's not here. So I relax a little. He's actually not being an arsehole this morning. It's kind of nice. I mean, it's kind of a miracle, but it's kind of nice. I finish up my final vehicle check when the family who are renting the minibus rock up. I greet them in the car park. They came in, they booked with me. So I'm fully expecting to finish this whole thing off with them. But the mad MD takes over. Just inserts himself into the situation and is suddenly doing all of the talking. And he sends me off to fetch the paperwork and keys, etc. So I dutifully do this and I bring the minibus round for the family, ready for them to transfer their luggage into and be on their way for their French adventures. I walk back in the office and the atmosphere is very different to when I left a moment or two ago. Very tense in here for a Saturday morning. It's very tense in here for people who are about to go off on their jolly holidays. I put the keys on the desk as I hear the dad clarify with the Mad MD that um, what he's hearing is that unless they pay an extra 500 pounds there and then for insurance or whatever it is, then they can't have the minibus, which as far as they and I were concerned, was paid for in full. I mean, the family's entire holiday would be in ruins if they didn't have the minibus in the next hour. Ferries would be missed, that sort of thing. The mad MD had them over a barrel and he knew it. And he didn't give a shit. I was embarrassed and mortified as he brandished the card payment machine at the family. At one point, he even tried to blame me for not telling them about the spurious, completely bullshit charge they were having to pay. The scumbag took their money and sent them on their way. And then he just naffed off, left me to fend for myself. Which really was the lesser of two evils.
I mean, I'd seen some sketchy, some shady, some shitty behaviour in my working life, but I'd never seen anything as brazen as that. In the aftermath of that, the urgency in my job hunting went up. Over the next month, the mad MD harangued and harassed everyone. If you got him at just unreasonable, you were doing well. We all dreaded seeing his car pull into our branch. Our shiny new branch had lost some of its shine somewhat. We'd had a new manager in who turns out wasn't as keen on renting our cars to young men who only paid in cash and wanted a different car every Monday. The Mad MD did not appreciate this drop in sales. And if I'm honest, I quite missed being tipped in cash and all the wonderful things you'd find under the seats after a drug dealer has had a car. Knowing that the Mad MD was a livid with him, the new manager promptly went off sick. So me, myself and I ran the branch for a day or two. I mean, no drama, the sales really were that slow. I've cleaned everything that doesn't move and some stuff that did. Admin is so up to date, I'm actually ahead of myself. I have nothing to do. The mad MD shows up and demands I become a salesperson in the absence of any other work to do. Which, actually, is not a terrible idea, somewhat reasonable request, and would give me something to do. However, he clearly doesn't ask in a reasonable way. Speaks to me like absolute shit and practically threatens to fire me for no reason. It's wonderful, just me and this angry man in this industrial unit and he's ranting and raving. At one point he looks like he wants to pick something up and throw it at me. Thankfully his phone interrupts his rant and he steps outside. I realised I'd been holding my breath. I jumped as he stuck his head back in the door and shouted at me to get on the phone. He'd be back tomorrow. Oh goody, what joy for me. So I drove to work the next morning and I prayed for one of my many many job applications to call me please just call me but today was not going to be that kind of day company-wide the systems were down both computer and phone as i mentioned this wasn't a problem for me we had nothing going in and we had nothing going out that week i called the nearest branches to see if they needed any help but they were figuring it all out. Everybody was good. As I was on the phone, call waiting on the Blackberry bleeped in my ear. It was the mad MD. He wanted to know how my sales calls had gone. He'd left 35 minutes before the end of the day yesterday and he was now calling me 30 minutes into the next day. When I explained that the uh, two people I'd spoken to had said they'd like more information and I'd emailed it across, for some reason, he lost it. He actually screamed and shouted at me down the phone, uninterrupted, for 2 minutes and 47 seconds. I know, because I'd put the phone on the desk at this point. You didn't need loudspeaker to hear this abuse. I yes-sirred and no-sirred in all the right places until he went away, unimpressed with my second excuse about having no computer or phone access so far that morning. 
I put my work Blackberry down. God, I hated those phones. And I picked up my own phone. I walked to a blind spot in the CCTV so that Mad MD couldn't see me because he liked to watch and call when he didn't think you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. I called Ashley and I explained the morning's events. I told her I wanted to quit. And I asked if we could cope for another little bit of time until I got another job. We did some maths on the fly and we agreed it could be managed. We were learning how to navigate this stuff together after all, I thought, as I locked up the branch in the middle of the day. I drove back to my town and the main branch, where I parked up, walked in, dropped the keys off and handed in my hastily handwritten notice and walked home. It didn't matter how many nice cars I got to drive if that's the business I had to work for. But still, damn it, I'm unemployed again and Christmas was looming. Honestly, I was ruining my decision after a week or two. My best mate Paul and I were hanging out one day and I was moaning to him about the lack of jobs and how it felt like I'd applied for everything. We popped into a supermarket to pick up snacks and as we walked the aisles, I continued to lament my lot in life when Paul had one of his more useful moments. I bet they've got jobs here, he said. We looked at each other. For reasons unknown, it had not occurred to either of us that jobs might just be available in the very place we were standing. 24 hours later, we'd both applied to our local stores. Paul, as it happened, got himself a different job, but I found myself behind the scenes of my local supermarket waiting for an interview. Not long before I'd quit the car hire job, Cameron had gotten in touch with me. She'd seen me driving around her town and she thought she'd reach out. It was a really nice feeling, the absence of a reaction to Cameron getting in touch. And I was curious, I asked how life was going for her. She had broken up with the baller, dated around for a bit, but uh, decided to stay single. Here was her big news. She'd uh, decided to adopt a child. I can't lie, I was impressed because that's a big move and a bold one too, especially on your own. But I thought, what a lucky kid. You know, she'd be a great mum. As it turns out, the kid was about five years old and goddamn adorable. Plus, he thought he was Spider-Man and refused to take the outfit off, ever. It was kind of nice just being friends with Cameron. Plus, I got the impression she missed adult conversation. I really wanted to ask what had happened back in the day, but uh, I left it alone. I didn't really want to stir up our old dynamic. Because, you know, things were mostly platonic, aside from the old flirty comment here or there. I liked her, but I had no intention of derailing Ashy and I. And then, one day, again, out of nowhere, I'm just sending a completely innocent text, and I get this shut-down response again. Don't contact me. Delete this number. Oh, fuck this noise. So I did. I deleted camera and forgot all about her. She became one of those questions that occasionally surfaces in your brain. You know, what was all that about, I wondered. But then you get on with your day. 
that question would you know irritate away in the back of my brain for a while longer and we would get an answer at some point but never mind all that right now I had a job interview to ace to become a delivery driver online shopping was really starting to take off in the suburbs now I've mentioned before that I am not the biggest nor the baddest butch I'm not short short but I'm not tall either and I am petite slim whatever skinny phrase you want to use pick one and you're there right off the bat the interviewers were skeptical about my physical prowess it almost felt like I was being interviewed for being a butch you know what could I lift what are my mechanical skills like how was my driving I was half expecting to be asked to chop some wood under timed conditions I reassured them I could lift a beer keg change a tire and parallel park a seven and a half ton truck all whilst providing devastatingly charming customer service like many women who've given me a chance they remained doubtful initially but by the end of my first shift no one regrets their decision i on the other hand did slightly regret my decision on one level 4 a.m starts as far as i was concerned 4 a.m should only be seen for one of two reasons still being up after a damn good night out or getting up to get a flight to go on holiday but starting work at 4 a.m oh that was a brutal there was an upside my new work routine fitted in pretty nicely with ashley's and rebecca's the house was humming along like a well-oiled machine and you have these times these days these weeks these months these years if you're lucky when life just goes along nicely it's not perfect but it's good and it could always be a lot lot worse sometimes it's really good to look back and see how far you've come but mostly it's about enjoying the moment about being present you know we're really settling down together now getting the house done getting all those little projects we wanted to do and as i said christmas was coming and we're still in that place where ashley hasn't officially come out to her parents yet we've mostly been doing christmas apart and this year was going to be no different as much as we'd like to have spent them together sometimes you've really got to put family first not to mention the logistics of our families living 200 miles apart and us 50 miles from the nearest her parents Ashley not being out to her family didn't bother me particularly I'd met her parents as her friend and housemate nobody ever seemed to raise an eyebrow about how our three-bedroom house often had four single people living in it her dad had even come and spent a week with us when he decorated the house beautifully I might add but he was no man who concerned himself with these sorts of things he lived in a seemingly blissful ignorance which could fool you into thinking he wasn't a smart man but he absolutely was but her parents were old school Jamaicans who didn't believe you should air your dirty laundry you kept yourself to yourself and your business was your business and Ashley was the same actually quite private about things she wasn't out at work either you know not unless someone specifically asked or she'd known them 
for a very long time. I got that telling her parents felt like an unnecessary thing to her, and that's not my relationship to manage. But not being out and open about us at work did bother me. I mean, rationally, I got that it wasn't always commercially smart to be out, but my feelings didn't. It's not like it was a deal breaker, you know, not the end of the world at all. But every now and again, it would just cause like um, a pang. You know, made me feel a bit like I was dragging her down, you know, like holding her back. Something to be hidden away when folks come to visit. And then I'd remember that Ashley was a black woman, already fighting a bunch of battles on a daily basis. And I'd think, could I really blame her for not wanting to make it a trifecta of potential discrimination? When it really mattered, Ashley was open about us. And that's what counted to me. Hello, well-established lesbian here. Lovely to have you along once more. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider showing your support by donating to the show via ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash well-established lesbian. It's purely there to help cover costs and keep the podcast ad free. You can also find the link on my Instagram alongside lots of very inspirational quotes. And don't forget, I'm on Reddit too, as are some of you. Join the little community we've got at r slash T-O-A-W-E-L. Thanks, as always, for the privilege of your time. And whatever you're doing, have a great week. Take care.